0: This is a word, a podcast from Slate. I'm your host, Jason Johnson. The NFL was struck by tragedy this week as Buffalo Bills player DeMar Hamlin suffered cardiac arrest on the field during a Monday Night Football game. Though Hamlin seems to be recovering, the incident renewed questions about whether it's even possible to make the NFL safer.
1: The problem with football is football. It always has been. When you play this sport,
0: this is the price Damar Hamlin and Safety in the NFL, coming up on A Word with me, Jason Johnson. Stay with us. Welcome to A Word, a podcast about race and politics and everything else. I'm your host, Jason Johnson. For the NFL, this time of year is supposed to bring excitement as teams fight it out on the field to earn their spot in the playoffs. But this year's postseason will start on a somber note after Buffalo Bills player DeMar Hamlin suffered a cardiac arrest early in a Monday night football game against the Cincinnati Bengals. After getting knocked down during a totally unremarkable play, Hamlin stood momentarily, only to collapse back onto the field. Hamlin endured more than nine minutes of CPR before his heartbeat was restored, and he was taken to a local hospital. At this time, Hamlin remains in critical condition, but seems to be on the road to recovery. Still, the incident reminded fans about the dangers of the sport. But is there anything that can realistically be done to make football a safer game? And what role do the athletes, league officials, team owners, and even the fans play in that effort? Joining us to talk more about this is Howard Bryant. He's a veteran sports journalist and the author of several books, including Full Dissidents Notes, from an uneven playing field. Howard Bryant, one of my favorite journalists. Welcome back to a word. Thank you. I'm just gonna start with this. Were you watching the game Monday night? And and if you were, what was your first reaction or maybe just your first reaction upon seeing the video if you weren't watching the game on Monday night?
1: Well, I wasn't watching the game. I had just gotten home from dinner and I just walked in the door and I got a call from Bomani Jones who said, are you watching this game right now? He said, I think a guy may have died on the field. And I was like, what? And there we go. Then you go downstairs and you turn on the TV and you see the ambulance on the field and the players had made the circle. They had circled DeMar Hamlin, so you couldn't see him. And clearly what was happening at that time was that CPR was being performed on him. And we, we would later know that. And then so the rest of what I saw was really the aftermath of that. I still haven't seen the hit. And I really did focus in also on the coverage of it as well. It's like, okay, well, how how are we going to deal with this? How are we going to watch this? How how are the the broadcasters going to handle this because this is the dark side. This is the game. This is, it's not even the dark side. It's the other side of the game that exists in every single minute and every single second of every single game.
0: Eventually the league did end the game, but there's some questions about how that decision came about.
1: I mean, the thing that got me about watching this was, okay, part of the commentary was, well, we're going to take a five minute warm-up period. I'm like, warming up? Are you out of your mind? And then the rest of the commentary was about, well, you know, the players are going to have to decide if they want to continue. Where's the leadership? The leadership immediately, wherever Roger Goodell was at that time, and whoever's running the show over there, and on the union side too, immediate, this game's over. Now, maybe they made that decision and then announced it a half an hour later, but the fact that it took almost an hour to tell the fans that this game has been postponed was to me insane. And maybe it was also we should give everyone some grace because of the gravity of the situation and because maybe even the leadership panicked a little bit because this is right in your face. But the fact that there was even a question that they were going to resume playing when the players themselves knew what they saw. It's like you know the difference between Level one injury, level five injury, life and death injury. And those players were looking like this is extremely serious.
0: We're going to take a short break. We come back more on Demar Hamlin and the state of safety in the NFL. This is a word with Jason Johnson. Stay tuned. This is Jason Johnson, host of a word slates podcast about race and politics and everything else. I want to take a moment to welcome our new listeners. If you've discovered a word and like what you hear, please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts. And let us know what you think by writing us at slate.com. Thank you. You're listening to A Word with Jason Johnson. Today, we're talking about safety in the NFL with veteran sports journalist Howard Bryant. You know, Howard, one of the things that I I, I really like about you and respect about you is you're one of the few who have been very clear about the moral sort of turpitude in a lot of respects of the NFL. Like you don't just give lip service to it. It's been an act, but you're like, I I don't, I don't watch this stuff the way I used to. And there's not many journalists who've taken that stand. You've covered this league for a long time. Can you think of any other incident like this, even remotely close to this, that happened on the field.
1: Well, yes, there's been a player who died in the field in 1971, Chuck Hughes, and he he collapsed on the field and was pronounced dead a couple of hours later at a hospital. And they're
0: treating Mr. Hughes pretty gingerly down there. Now I don't like the looks of this injury down here at all. It appears that Chuck is really hurt.
1: There is precedent here. Okay, it was 50 years ago, but it still happened. And it's within a lot of people's lifetimes. It's within my lifetime. And so there's that. But then there's also the number of times that we haven't heard about it. There have been many, many stories where people, you know, or players are talking about being in the hospital afterwards with the IVs and everything else. And we have seen players paralyzed from, from football. We saw Darryl Stingley. We saw Mike Utley, we saw Dennis Byrd. We've seen this happen in the last 35 years. We've seen it certainly over the last 50 years. But what we keep doing is we keep trying to sell the idea that the numbers of catastrophic injuries are so low and the revenues are so high that if you have an issue with this, and if you have an issue with the sport, you're the problem. That you're the moralist, and you're the Pollyanna, and you're the one who's overreacting. I don't watch the NFL anymore for one very, very simple reason. And that was, I remember watching the game, I believe it was the Patriots, and I remember Stephen Ridley took the ball off tackle, got crunched in the slow motion, you could see he was out on his feet, fumbled the ball, and the entire conversation on the broadcast booth wasn't... Stephen Ridley being knocked unconscious and fumbling the ball, it was, you got to hold on to the ball. And I'm like, he's unconscious. Of course he dropped the ball. He's not conscious. And then I started thinking, this is your entertainment. You're watching this. You're making a deal right now that this is okay with you. Is this okay with you? This is not okay with me. And and when you start thinking about the the implications, not just the safety implications, but the class implications and the racial implications of all these young black men making up 70% of the league who can't get jobs as coaches afterward, but their bodies are disposable. And the grotesque war metaphors that we've embedded into the sport as well, no different than a lot of these young black and brown kids going into the military because they don't feel like they have anything else. And so your body is still your commodity. Even now, when we keep talking about opportunities, it's still, even at this late date, your body is your commodity if you're a black male in this country. And I had to ask myself this question of, is this something that you want to be part of? And the answer was no. I'll watch basketball. I'll watch tennis. I'll watch hockey. I'll watch something else, although hockey's just as violent as this. But, I mean, there's a, there is a deal that we're all making when you're watching this. And it is a beautiful game. Now, don't get me wrong. Football is an incredible, genius-level sport in terms of what these athletes can do. But the price gets gr- is greater and greater and greater and greater. And on Monday night, whether or not it was Monday or whether it was next Friday or whether it was 10 years ago or 1971, it is a matter of time before these things happen. The miracle of football is actually that it doesn't seem to happen more
0: psychologically, what does the league offer to the other players who watch this happen? Is there any sort of medical care that's provided after an incident like this?
1: No, there is. And there is, you know, it's obviously constantly been inadequate, which is why the players and the retired players have been suing for this very thing. But in the past, there had been virtually nothing. The health care and the health benefit piece of this has been improving under Demoris Smith and under his leadership. But it's clearly inadequate. I mean, I think that you have it in in all the sports, this sort of what responsibility do we have to our own players? Not just the league, but the players. What responsibility do the players have to each other? They do, at some level, have counseling services and all of those things. I wonder how utilized it is. I wonder how well-funded it is and whether or not it's something that's in place because it needs to be in place or if it's actually something that gets used.
0: The other thing that strikes me, Demar Hamlin was uh, essentially a bench player who was in the game uh, for a starter who was injured. If this were to have happened to a quarterback on the field, what do you think would have changed that night? Because we've, we've, we've seen that there were delays and conversations, should the game be stopped this out the other. But if it had happened to a quarterback, Monday night football, regardless of level, Howard, what do you think changes that night in the NFL?
1: I don't think much changes, actually. I don't think anyone was looking at Hamlin and thinking, oh, well, he's a sixth-round pick. Nobody cares. Let's keep playing. I think that what they did was they are so, they being the, the networks, the league, the entire NFL industry, they're so numb to injury that they weren't even necessarily aware of the optics of how this actually looks. I mean, think about, think about how in- injuries are embedded into the NFL in a way that they aren't with any other sport. There's an injured 49er on the field and we'll be right back. And they just sweep the guy up and they sell some beer and sell some cars. And then they come back to live action and the players, you know, nowhere near seen. And so you get a, a head injury, they take you, they put you under the magical blue tent, and then you're miraculously okay to play again or you're out for the, the rest of the game. Now, if you're talking about the racial and class implications of it, uh, uh, obviously the class implication of defensive back against Tom Brady laying there, then obviously, then you add the news and the the news cycle to it. And of course that changes. But the fact that they were willing to have a five minute warm-up and go back to live action is something that we should all circle.
0: We're gonna take a short break. When we come back, more about NFL safety with Howard Bryant this is A Word with Jason Johnson. Stay tuned. You're listening to A Word with Jason Johnson. Today, we're talking with veteran sports journalist Howard Bryant about safety in the NFL in the wake of the severe injury to Buffalo Bills player Tamar Hamlin. Um, Howard, one thing I really wanted to get your, your view on is, as you mentioned before the break, this idea of sports coverage. The dehumanization of athletes, the dehumanization of black bodies is something that we're used to from all too many sports journalists. But there have been some really egregious comments that were made both that night and in the 10 to 12 hours after Hamlin went down on the field. Do you think that there are going to be any lessons learned from what we saw on Monday from the perspective of journalists? Or do you think hot take culture means that Regardless, no one's going to learn a lesson from how they may have jumped to inappropriate conclusions or made callous, insensitive statements after Monday's game.
1: I was on the phone with a with a friend of mine watching this coverage on Monday, and he was being very I don't know if cynical is the right word for it, but it's because it's where we are. And because of that, he said, well, nothing's going to change no matter what happens here. Nothing's going to change. I remember feeling some sort of way about that. And the way I felt about it was, well, maybe because all we do is talk about the NFL money machine and the NFL gambling machine and the NFL trouncing every other program on Sunday nights. But I also remember when Corey Stringer died, the Minnesota Vikings lineman who died during training camp. There's there's no way that you can have what took place on Monday come and go as if this is business as usual. And I believe that even if the machine of the NFL wants to keep churning, people have already made a decision. There are football players around the country on Monday night who made the decision not to play football. We don't know who they are, they may reveal themselves, but these things don't just happen and nobody cares. There is a ripple that comes with it. And when we went through the concussion issues, you had Chris Borland who just retired. I don't want to do this anymore. People are genuinely affected by this, and they're going to be. And when you refer to this sport, and there's no dancing around it, it is a death sport. It's a death sport whether you can be killed on the field as a 24-year-old or suffer serious damage as a 25-year-old or take your own life from the effects of CTE, as as players have done in their 30s and 40s, or really, really suffer poor quality of life in your 40s and 50s, or have your life expectancy by playing football be 20 years less than that of a couch potato. So there's a cost to all of this. And yes, the coverage of this is extremely important because no matter how much we want to talk about this and compartmentalize it, All of us are making money off the NFL. We're making money off of these black bodies. You know, whether you cover it or whether you don't, if you work for a rights holder, some of that money is going to you because of the profitability of the sport. You can't have $10 million journalists without $100 million football players. Everybody's salaries are going up, and this is part of the price of that. And we all have to take our piece of that. You can't look at it and be detached from it because you're not detached from it. Why do the ESPN reporters, why did we all get paid so much? We got paid so much because we're part of the machine, because of being rights holders to these other sports. You can't have it both ways. You can't constantly trumpet the success and the invincibility of the NFL without taking into account the certain sacrifice that's coming with it.
0: I think in the last two years, every black person in America and certainly black people in journalism have had the conversation about our racial reckoning, what we have and have not learned over the last two years. And one thing that struck me, Howard, is when George Floyd was killed, you still had about 30 percent of the population that believed that it was actually fentanyl that killed George Floyd and not a knee to the neck. With that in mind, what do you think is the possibility that Hamlin's injury could be framed in a similar way by cynical journalists. Do you think there is a way in which we may see media outlets try to blame the victim in order to somehow prevent the NFL from from being held accountable?
1: I think you're going to see it from the outside, from the inside and everywhere around. I think you'll see other players do it. I think you'll see everyone do this because of the power of the league and the power of the sport. The problem with football is football. It always has been. When you play this sport, this is the price. It's the only sport with a 100% injury rate. And so this is what the sport is. And sure, when Chuck Hughes died, he had a pre-existing condition. And so you could make the argument that football didn't exactly kill him, but this is what happened. Do you go into cardiac arrest if you get hit in the chest at the right angle at the wrong time? Absolutely. Could that also happen if you hit the brakes? And crunch your chest on the steering wheel? Also, absolutely. But in that sport, those percentages go up exponentially. And there's no getting around that. And the only way you try to get around that is if you are in some level of denial about what this sport actually is. And I can tell you, when I covered the Washington football team back in 05 to 07, the team trainer, Bubba Taya, at the end of... Every season, like the last game of the season or whatever, Bubba would come by and he would hand us a sheet of the off-season surgeries. A huge dozens of players were going under the knife. And they were, you know, it's like one of the what's the great oxymoron? Minor surgery, right? So it's, I'm just I'm just getting scoped. But somebody is getting cut open every February, every March after the season. I'll be ready for training camp, but there's a list of surgeries. And so there's no getting around what this sport does to you. And it's not the same as baseball. And it's not the same as basketball. It's not the same as soccer. And you can try to talk yourself into anything, but that sort of reckoning is inevitable if you're really paying attention. There's no way around it unless you want to be sort of a a willful you know, piece of the, of the football propaganda machine. And, you, and, and you've heard it. You've heard so many people say, oh, well, nobody put a gun to your head. Okay, that's fine, but that doesn't change what's taking place. And also, to that same extent, whether we're talking about boxing or MMA or any of the other collision death sports that are out there, it's not just the fact that you're doing this willfully. Somebody said to you, okay, I try to be a responsible adult. Here are my avenues to take care of the family. And so you do have a fair number of players who know that they are doing this because this is the best possible chance for them to provide. And that's a real thing, too. And one of the things that I had spoken with with some union players, um, with some union executives years ago, too, was the hope as well that sometimes that the money would go big enough that you wouldn't have to do it as long. That, okay, maybe you can make huge amounts of numbers now. And then instead of having a 15 year career, you have a six year career.
0: Howard, I always like to end the podcast on a somewhat positive note or an optimistic note or something that people can look forward to or engage in. So I'm going to ask you this. I know you don't watch the NFL anymore, but if somebody gave you a magic wand and said, hey, after this incident, Howard Bryant, how would you improve this game? What is the single change that you would make to the current NFL?
1: Well, it's a really good question, Jason. It's almost as though when you follow – when you follow history, the old becomes new, and then the new becomes old, and it's cyclical it's almost like fashion and I would like to go back to the old fashion when you're done watching a football game when you get out of there when we go downstairs and there's the cooling off here, you walk into the into the locker room and you see these players and they're you know covered in tape and there's blood and stuff everywhere and you're looking at him and this guy's limping and that guy's in ice and you're starting to look and you see guys leave on crutches and this guy's in an air cast and then Monday is treatment day and you're looking at them and you're going no way you know you're not playing you're not playing you're not playing and by Wednesday they're at full speed and to me to answer your question what I would do is I would go I would go back to the future I would reduce the padding I would reduce some of the helmets. I would reduce a lot of that. So that invincibility begins to go away so you don't lead with your head anymore because your head isn't covered. And maybe you tackle a little bit less ferociously. Maybe if you have to have football, if it has to exist, maybe there's a way to go backwards and bring some weight limits down as well. You don't have to play, you don't have to be 375 pounds to play this game. 40 years ago, 265 was a big guy. Now, 265 is a little guy. And so maybe there's some way to to look back to the past to maybe find some some solutions. Or, of course, you can just not play. Maybe Bigger, Faster, Stronger has run its course on this sport.
0: Howard Bryant is a veteran sports journalist and the author of several books, including The Heritage, Black Athletes, A Divided America, and The Politics of Patriotism. Thank you so much for taking time with us today on The Word. Yes, thank you. And that's a word for this week. The show's email is a word at slate.com. This episode was produced by Christy Taiwo Macanjula. Ben Richmond is Slate's Senior Director of Operations for Podcasts. Alicia Montgomery is the Vice President of Audio. Our theme music was produced by Don Will. I'm Jason Johnson. Tune in next week for a word.